I invite you to turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are in the final uh, section of Ephesians as we have been going through this uh, letter of the Apostle Paul to these uh, first century believers. Uh, we started this, uh, I think, the second Sunday in January, and we're still at it. Uh, but God's Word is indeed good, and it's good for us uh, to have uh, invested this time in this portion of God's Word. Uh, in this final section, though, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is giving instructions to believers concerning uh, the spiritual warfare uh, that we are engaged in. Uh, the spiritual battles that you and I face as followers of Jesus Christ in this present world our battles are with our enemy, the enemy of our souls, uh, whom Scripture uh, indicates and reveals as uh, the devil or Satan. And in this context of Ephesians chapter 6, believers are told four times over to stand, stand, and stand firm uh, with the full armor of God. You see, God has promised to His believing people uh, all that we need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the one who is victorious and the one who overcomes according to the word, word of God, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 is this, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has come overcome the world, even our faith. Verse 5 says, who is the one that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. God assures you that in Jesus Christ. One of the things that struck me as I was preparing for this message, and it, it, it really uh, just uh, really stood out to me, is that this armor is the armor of God. Now that might seem obvious, but this is the armor of God. This is what God has provided for His believing people to be victorious in the spiritual battles that we face. And we set ourselves up for defeat and for failure when we go outside what God has already provided us in Jesus Christ. We look elsewhere trying to find answers to the questions when God has already given us all we need in His Word and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are defeated. And we are setting ourselves up for failure when we look beyond what God has provided us to other means. Now, there are six pieces in this armor. Uh, the first three, I'm, I'm going to sort of break them down into three and three, uh, are what I call the attire, the dress uh, of the believer. And then in the next three, you have not the, only the attire, but you have the armament, the armament, the equipment God gives us. Uh, and so we're going to look at uh, the first three t uh, today, the, the belt, the breastplate, and, and the shoes or the boots. And we'll look at these in detail together. So would you join with me in prayer as we uh, begin to look at the text? Father, in these few moments uh, that we now share together in your word, I would ask, Lord, for your help to be able to communicate 
very clearly and directly what your word is saying to us. And Father, not only that I would be clear, but that, Lord, the Holy Spirit would use your word in our lives to show us that which you've provided us in Jesus Christ. That we would be and live as the believing people you call us to be through Christ and through the gospel. And may we know the victory. May we know the overcomer's place because of being in Christ and following him in faith. And so, Father, we give ourselves in this time to you and ask that you would be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first piece that we're going to look at this morning comes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, where Paul says, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So first, this, this attire, these first three pieces of this, this armor, the, the belt of truth. Um, this, this is what God has provided for us to stand firm. After all, Satan's goal, his desire, is to defeat us. It's to destroy us. It's to hinder and hamper, and if he could, stop the work of God in our lives and in this present world. Now, the thing that I want you to, to notice here uh, with this, uh, this armor is that each of these must be in place or must be put on. There, there's a corresponding response that you and I are to give to each one of these. Uh, and each of these is directly connected with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, that might seem obvious, but it is not Jesus Christ plus something else that assures us of victory, but it is Jesus Christ alone. And this is because of him that we have this victory. And no doubt, as someone pointed out, uh, Paul probably drew insight uh, into this idea of having armor having been chained to a Roman soldier 24-7 when he was imprisoned. He probably even saw squads of soldiers maybe doing their drills uh, outside his, his uh, rented quarters there in Rome as he was awaiting trial. So he probably started to look at that and realized, you know, we are in a spiritual battle, and God has provided us, just like he does these soldiers, the right equipment, the right attire. He has provided for us the same in Jesus Christ. And the first thing that he mentions is the belt. A belt. Now, uh, you and I think of this in, in terms of, of just a, you know, the, the leather belt that you wear, like I have a, a black belt on here. You know, not black belt karate. I, could, I can't, I'm not coordinated enough for that. You know? But this, this, it's not just a belt that uh, held your trousers in place. Let me, let me explain the, the purpose of the belt in that, in that day. The belt uh, was, was a, a, a piece of their attire that held their robes in place because people wore long robes. They didn't wear pants that were cut for the legs. They wore robes. And the, the, the belt held the robes in place so as not to impede movement. You sort of gathered up your, the excess you know, fabric, if you would, so that your legs were, were agile and you could move around. And so you tucked them up under your belt and they were, they were, they were in place. Now, this is a comment personally about the fashion statement of the people who, who wear trousers today that are three sizes too big. And they don't wear a belt, but they walk around holding their pants up. 
And I think to myself, how can you possibly do anything if your hand is busy holding your pants in place? You need to put a belt on. Better yet, buy pants that fit. And that would be maybe a, a, a place to start. But see, the, this belt held the robes in place to keep people from being impeded. Secondly, interestingly enough, you may not recognize this just reading this, but the belt also was connected to the other pieces of the armor, and it kept everything in its place. It was connected to the breastplate as well. So it wasn't independent of itself. It was integral and worked with the other pieces. And interestingly also, this belt was a place where you kept your sword your equipment. Some have even said that there were other things that people would keep in their belts if they weren't a soldier, but they would keep a sword there, they would keep some other things, some implements, maybe a, a small knife, maybe some other things that they might use throughout the day. But notice Paul says that God has given us uh, this belt that he wants us to don, he wants us to put on, and it's called a belt of truth. Now think about it in those terms, that truth holds everything in place. Truth is joined to everything else. Truth is a place where you keep your sword, which is the what? Later on in the armor, the word of God, which is truth. Truth. See how all these fit together? You know, and truth is that which is fact or reality. It is certainty. It is veracity. Jesus declared himself to be the truth in John 14 and verse 6. Ephesians 4 and verse 21, this very letter that Paul wrote, he says that truth is in Jesus. John 17, 17, God's word is truth. And you may not realize this, but it's a good verse to underline. 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. See, truth is that which is fact or which is reality or what really is from God's perspective. And as believers in Jesus Christ, I think there's three things that need to be uh, as a response to this. Number one, we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth. And where are you going to find truth? In God's Word. We say in our doctrinal statements that the Bible is the final authority on all matters of faith and practice and living. Do we really believe that? Do we know the truth well enough that we can defend and be sure that what we do, what we believe, what we say is indeed consistent with and coming out of the Word of God? We need to know the truth. But secondly, we need to believe the truth. It's not enough to just have the facts or have the right doctrinal statement in place and give a sort of intellectual nod to it. We need to believe what God has said. And coming out of that belief in what God has said, it should correspond in our actions and that we live the truth. It, it impacts the way that you and I live, the way that you and I think, the way that you and I respond, the way that you and I carry out the daily day routines that are before us as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you know Jesus? Are you free this morning because you know him, free from sin, free from the burdens that weigh you down from this life? Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And see, truth is not just, in this context, positional. 
of what we are in Jesus Christ, but it's meant to be practical. If I can give you a sort of a synonym for truth and how this is applied as a belt, what I believe we're called to as the people of God, knowing the truth, believing the truth, living the truth, that in our lives people are able to see us and see us with this word, truth or integrity. Integrity. Integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. There is a consistency between what we say, what we proclaim, and the way that we live and the way that we act. Integrity. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, if you go back with me for a moment and look at verse 25, remember that Paul says here, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. When you speak as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, are you truthful? Are you a truthful person? And not just that do you speak the truth, but does your life line up with the truth? That there is a consistency and an integrity that can be seen. You know, the Apostle Paul said, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 8, that he was one who lived a truthful life. So the question that we have to ask ourselves as we are to put on truth as a belt that holds everything together, that, that be, allows us to be unencumbered in what God calls us to do is this. Am I truthful with others? Am I a person of integrity? I'm going to share this example from something recently that happened. And actually, it happened twice. As you know, at the grocery store today, you have these self-checkouts where, you know, you go and you scan your thing, you put your money in, they give you the receipt. Now, on two occasions now uh, at the store, I've come to, to scan my items, and lo and behold, there's money left there in the, in the uh, change place. Not just a few coins, I mean money, you know. And the first time I found it there, I said, uh-oh, somebody forgot their money. And I waved down the guy that's making sure everybody's scanning without walking out the door. And I said, somebody left money here. And I handed it to the employee. And the employee just kind of said, yeah, yeah. That's all he said. The second time, though, I went to the service desk with it because there was nobody else around there to do it. And the girl said to me, she says, it's nice to see that there's somebody honest that would return this. Now, I'm not saying this to, to pat myself on the back, but I'm just like, why wouldn't you give it to somebody who is uh, representing the store so that someone who comes back and says, uh-oh, my $45 that was in this thing isn't in my pocket. I must have left it at the store. Why would you think of keeping it? That's not truthful. That's not integrity. But you have all kinds of people today who think nothing of something like that, as though it's no big deal. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You know, we say, but is that really the Christian response if we are to be people who are belted with truth, attired with truth? You know, I have a friend who is a, a professor at a, a Bible college, and uh, he said to me that you would be surprised at how many students turn in work at a Christian college that's not theirs. 
And now apparently they have technologies that they can run your paper through a thing and it can scan it and it can tell whether or not you are actually giving credit to, to people who quote you quote out of other books or other ideas and they can tell whether or not that work is really yours or not. And he said, you would be surprised at the amount of people who turn in work that is not their own. Dare I go here and tell you that we received a memo from the vice president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance who told us pastors, beware that you are preaching your own work and not the sermons of others? My friends, if we are not a truthful people, no wonder the world looks at us and says, hypocrite, hypocrite, actor, phony, lies. If we are not living the truth, even in the smallest of things, you know, David went into the cave when he could have slain Saul, his sworn enemy, and he cut off just the robe of his garment. And it says David's conscience bothered him. It was just a piece of fabric. But David couldn't sleep. It bothered him because he did that. And I'm afraid we're, we're fast losing the integrity God wants us to have as his believing people. And no wonder why Satan comes after us. Because he now has something to accuse us of. And he's right. Because we're not a truthful people. You know, Satan hates integrity. Because when we have integrity, he has nothing that he can use against us. Psalm 51 verse 6 says that God desires truth in the inward parts, inwardly. And only God can give you that integrity. Only God by his spirit can make you that way. But you have to respond to that. You have to agree to that. Interestingly, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 30, the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold on me, which means he has nothing in me that he can accuse me of. Jesus could even say in his integrity and in his truthfulness, which one of you can convict me of sin? And they couldn't because there was no sin in him. Can the same things be said about you and about me as followers of Jesus Christ? We are to have the belt of truth in place within our lives, which means that we live the truth. We model it by what we say and what we do. Well, secondly, Paul says here that the believer is to have a breastplate of righteousness. Now, where the, the belt, by the way, it was not just a, a little thin piece of leather. It was actually strips of, of leather or leather with, uh, with uh, metal around it that actually was almost like an apron that was for protection. You know, it held everything together. Uh, in that way. But the breastplate protected the chest. And it was front and back. I know that there's some discussion among commentators and scholars and people debate whether or not there was, there was a back to it. There was a back. You know, God, God doesn't leave his people less protected than a soldier would in battle. There was a back to it, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when he talks about righteousness here, righteousness, by definition, in, in one sense, is being right with God. Being right with God. And there's two aspects to this also. 
You and I have, by virtue of being in Jesus Christ by faith, imputed righteousness. That means that Christ's righteousness is put to your account and to mine. That is your standing, your position before God. You are right with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, says the Apostle Paul. In fact, he says here, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So how does God view you if you are in Jesus Christ this morning? He views you as clothed with the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as he sees his perfect son. That is your position. That is your standing before God, in right standing with God. That is imputed to you. That is put to your account when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So that you stand faultless before the throne, not because you are faultless in yourself, but because of the righteousness of Christ put to your account. But there's a second uh, aspect of righteousness, and I think that this is what Paul is getting at in this breastplate of righteousness, is that there is righteousness that's imparted. It's not only imputed, put to my account, but it's imparted and seen in my actions and in my doings. As, as Boyce put it, these are acts of righteousness. This is personal holiness or living God's way, living the right way, God's way. And Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 tells us that God's grace transforms our behavior and the way that you and I live. Now, Satan, uh, who, whose name means uh, the accuser, attacks us with accusations because for you and for me, many times our actions do not measure up to God's standards. Would you agree that you and I still miss the mark, even as followers of Jesus Christ? I fail to act rightly. I fail to do the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. I go my own way still. And you see, Satan uses that as a, as a springboard for accusations against us. In fact, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says that Satan is called the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night. Per permit me the, the liberty to, to sort of illustrate this. It's as if the scripture would say to us that Satan comes before God on a, any given occasion, maybe right after I have blown it and sinned, and says before God and before all the other angels, look at Joseph there. He says he's one of your own, but look at how he failed. Look at the unkind words he spoke. Look at the sinful thoughts he's having. Look at the, the unjust actions he's taking. Look at he, he's a failure. How can you, O oh God, holy God, accept him? How can you call him your own? The Bible tells us that we have in Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 2, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you know what one of the 
understandings and definitions of an advocate is? It's a defense attorney. It's a defense attorney where, where claims are brought against you in a court and you and I have in the person of Jesus Christ a defense attorney. And he steps in. And 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, and he is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And the son steps up as our advocate and says, Father, Joseph trusted me by your grace and your sovereign working on such and such a date, he is clothed with my righteousness. And you know what the Father says, the heavenly judge? Case dismissed. Because we have an advocate in the person of Jesus Christ. That is our breastplate of righteousness in place in our lives. Resting in that finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And when, when Satan doesn't make headway with God, you know what he does next? He comes to you and me. And he says, ah, you call yourself a Christian? Look at how you're behaving. Look at the thoughts you're having. Look at the actions you're taking. Look at the way that you're living. You call yourself a Christian? How can you be sure that you're even a Christian? How can you be sure God even loves you anymore? You're not measuring up. You're, you're not doing enough. You failed. Maybe, maybe the reason he's not answering your prayer is because he's abandoned you. You hear anything like that going on in your head? Am I the only one? I hear it, the accusations, the accusations. And you know, when that happens, when he comes on our end, we have to use that breastplate of righteousness and we need to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And secondly, we need to rely upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And did you know that the Holy Spirit is called in John chapter 14, 16 and 17? Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you another comforter, another advocate that he may abide with you forever. So before God, Jesus is our advocate on our end. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. And you know what the Holy Spirit does when we seek God, when those accusations come flying against us by Satan, our accuser? The Holy Spirit reminds us, Romans 8, 16, he testifies that we are children of God. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, even this week, There was, a, there, was a, there was a day that, that, that I just, not feeling well physically doesn't help, but that's, that wasn't it. And I just started to think, you know, is this real? And what I'm preaching and teaching, is it, is it real? And I'll tell you, I had some wrestling thoughts this week, but you know what? I came back to the Word of God. I came to the Lord in prayer and poured out my heart before him. And yet, lo and behold, that lifted. That lifted. And see, Satan is an accuser. And we have to have that breastplate in place. If we get away from Christ and the work of Christ in our lives, constantly being reminded of what he's done for us, that becomes ways that he can come into our lives. He can gain a foothold into our lives with accusation that comes against us. So thirdly, Paul says here, you and I need something for our feet. He's given us something for our waist. He's given us something for our breast. He now needs to give us something for our feet. And as you know, if you're in a battle, 
Footwear is very important. You've got to have the right footwear. You know? And apparently, the, the shoes that are being spoken of here, the boots, the, the, the attire for the feet in that day, were, were uh, f- flat pieces of, of leather or, or some other material. And it actually had what we would, I guess the best way to understand it would be like cleats in it that, that helped the, the soldier to have a, a, a firm footing in the midst of the battle. You know, you, you wear cleats in, in sporting events. Why? Because you want to have a sure footing. Well, well, we're in a spiritual battle, and we need to have sure footing. And Paul says, and we are to, to shod or fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. See, the shoes, the sandals, the boots give stability and a, a sure-footedness. But here's, here's one of those phrases in Scripture that becomes open for discussion, as with all of these, as to where do you put the emphasis? Is the emphasis on the readiness? Is the emphasis on the gospel? Is the emphasis on peace? And I say, yes. I think they're interconnected. And let me at least give you my understanding of this. And, and certainly in any of these, please enlighten me further because I'm, I'm still learning. Um, I think the emphasis rightly is placed upon this idea of readiness. And it has with it the idea of being prepared. That's why in some translations it has the preparation of the gospel of peace or preparedness. And it, and it means, at least in part, that, that you and I are to share the good news of the gospel. You see, you and I live in a world that's full of hostility. Hostility towards God, hostility towards one another. I mean, there's fighting and fractions and and war and hostility every place you turn. But the good news is this. The good news in Jesus Christ, when it is believed and Christ is embraced, will bring us peace with God. The hostility that exists between fallen humanity and holy God is there. It's real. But when you and I hear the gospel message and the good news that God offers us forgiveness in Jesus Christ and we embrace Him, and by faith we receive Him, God declares us in right standing with himself that hostility is removed because it was paid for at the cross, your sins and mine. And we have peace with God. God also gives it to the believer then, secondly, the peace of God. A peace that this world can't give and it can't take away. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. It's a genuine peace. It's a genuine sense of of shalom, of well-being that is upon you because you are in Jesus Christ and God gives that to you as one of his gifts and his graces. And then the gospel having taken hold in our lives, and when I say the gospel, I mean Jesus and rightly being related to him, it allows us to have peace with others. See, it's threefold. It's peace with God. It's the peace of God. It's peace with others. And you see, peace, this 
no longer hostility, this no longer conflict, this bringing of everything together under Christ, that togetherness that we talked about in Ephesians is characteristic of the kingdom of God. Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, for you know the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Characteristic of God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. A kingdom of peace. In fact, if you turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 57, God is speaking through his prophet, and he says in verse 17, I was enraged by his sinful greed. I punished him and hid my face in anger, yet he kept on in his willful ways. That's speaking about the nation of Israel and all who are wayward. I've seen his ways, but I'll heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him, creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. Peace, peace to those who are far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. God offers peace. In fact, Acts chapter 10 and verse 36 says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace. How? Through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You see, in Jesus Christ, peace can truly be brought to this world. And you know what? Humanity on its own will never, ever, ever, ever bring peace to this world. God says, back in Isaiah 57 again, but the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And until the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes back and sets up his rule and his reign, there will not be peace in this world. However, God offers to this world terms of peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Individual peace. Peace with God. The peace of God and peace among yourselves. Isn't that interesting that in some Christian contexts, part of the, the service and the worship is peace be with you. God's peace be with you. And you know, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, having our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we are to be people of peace. Not just that we've experienced it, having been made right with God, but that we have peace in our lives and we are people of peace who want to share that same peace with others. In fact, look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 10 for a moment. Romans chapter 10. You know these words very clearly. You've heard them before. How then can they call upon the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? See, this good news needs to be shared. It needs to be communicated. It needs to be given out. And how can they say unless they, how can they uh, preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And see, you and I are to be ready to share the good news of peace with others through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And there's a couple of things that happen when you and I choose to do that. First, sharing the good news brings peace to others. It brings peace to others. Secondly, when we share the good news and Christ is embraced and believed, Satan is defeated. He's lost territory. He's lost another one. 
but he's lost him to the kingdom of God because that person is now saved and now becomes an agent of the gospel and of peace. And then thirdly, you may not realize this or not, but when you share your faith with someone else, when you share Jesus Christ with someone else, when you share the good news of peace, there's something that happens that it builds your faith and confidence in God. It gives you a stability, a sure footing that you know that you know that you know, and not only that you know, but you want others to know. And that gives you a stability in a world that's hostile and contrary and warring and fighting and fractioning because you know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So here's God's attire for you and for me. This is what he wants us to wear. He wants us to wear the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. And when you and I put those on by faith, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and allow this to be affecting the way that we live, we are overcomers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. They all come from God, and they're all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise be his name for his provision to us in Christ. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this shared time together in your word this morning. I trust, O oh God, that, that we would all have ears to hear and hearts to receive and lives, Lord, that are more fully surrendered to you and to the work of your spirit in our lives through Christ that we would take up this full armor that you have provided, that we, O oh Lord, as your believing people, would have the capacity through Christ to stand firm in these days. Because that is what you call us to in Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that what we've shared together might reflect our lives in greater measure in these days that are before us. May we be people who are truthful. May righteousness characterize our lives. And may the peace of God that comes in the gospel be that which we know, that we experience, and that we share. And Father, we'll give you thanks and praise for the privilege of being part of your doings in this present world. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.